from the American College of Cardiology, this is Dr. Kim Eagle, ACC.org Editor-in-Chief with this week's Eagle's Eye View. This is your weekly cardiovascular update from ACC.org. I'm recording this on Monday, May 13th, 2019. I've picked three articles today that illustrate different aspects of cardiovascular care. One is a really excellent recent meta-analysis looking at the value of the newer drug-eluting stents versus bare metal stents in terms of cardiovascular outcomes. Another looking at beta blockers, calcium blockers, and mortality in patients with stable coronary disease. And the third is a really interesting update that I participated in looking at an update on the clinical trials of Losartan with and without beta blockers to reduce aortic aneurysm growth in patients with Marfan syndrome. So they illustrate different aspects of care, but all of them I think are relevant. So let's begin. The Lancet article is a wonderful meta-analysis by Piccolo and colleagues. The investigators did an individual patient data meta-analysis of randomized clinical trials to look at the value of new generation drug-looting stents versus bare metal stents among patients who'd had PCI. The primary outcome was a composite of cardiac death, or MI, and the data was pooled in a one-stage random effects analysis and had a one-year landmark endpoint, and then further follow-up as well. There were over 26,000 patients in the database from 20 randomized trials. The mean follow-up was about three years. The risk of the primary outcome was reduced in the newer drug-looting stent recipients compared to bare metal stent recipients, the hazard ratio 0.84. And this was due to a reduced risk of myocardial infarction, the hazard rate of that 0.79, and a slight but barely, if not insignificant, effect on cardiac mortality, hazard rate 0.89. All-cause mortality was not affected by the type of stent. The risk was definitely lower for stent thrombosis. Drug-looting stents had a significant effect on that, the hazard rate 0.63, and target vessel revascularization dropped, hazard ratio 0.55. There was a time-dependent effect, which is important. That is, drug-looting stents seem to be associated with a lower risk of a primary outcome than bare metal stent in the first year after stent was placed. Then the effect was maintained. There was no further drift or lowering after that. So the authors concluded that new generation drug-looting stents in the first year after implantation have better outcomes, and that therefore we should certainly no longer consider bare metal stents as the gold standard for safety. This was an excellent paper. It looked at outcomes not only at one year, but three years and five years. And there's no doubt that drug-looting stenting was associated with significant reduced risk of stent thrombosis and target revascularization, with the longest available follow-up out at five years. Clearly, the benefits were most dramatic in the first year, and then the curves stayed essentially parallel. So I think it's fair to say that the neurodrug-looting stents are here to stay as the gold standard bare metal stents, uh, much, much less commonly used nowadays. And clearly, this study, which is very large in its orientation, is reassuring that we've made great progress in uh, coronary artery stenting. Okay, let's shift gears and let's talk about beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, and mortality in patients with stable coronary disease. This paper uh, was also just published in the European Heart Journal. And the authors performed post-hoc analysis of Clarify. This is a large longitudinal registry of patients with stable CAD, 
And in this analysis, they were looking at the question, did the use of beta blockers or calcium blockers affect clinical outcomes? The registry had 32,000 patients from 45 countries. They were enrolled from 2009 to 2010 and followed annually for up to five years. The patients had to have had either a documented MI more than three months prior, prior cabbage, prior PCI greater than three months prior, or chest pain with proven myocardial ischemia, or known CAD by cath with a stenosis greater than 50%. They excluded patients with acute coronary syndromes, that is, anybody with their coronary symptom defined as within three months, which differentiates this from, for instance, the GRACE registry, or the REACH registry, which was primarily a registry looking at patients with risk factors. So the primary outcome was all-cause mortality. They also looked at cardiovascular mortality and a composite of cardiovascular mortality and non-fatal MI. And they assessed whether the patients were on the drugs annually so that we have some idea that the patients were taking the medicines that were being assessed. They calculated hazard ratios, looking first at beta blockers versus non-use and then calcium blockers versus non-use. They performed rigorous uh, multivariate analysis using Cox proportional hazards, including the REACH cardiovascular event risk score and all other comorbidities that you could imagine. So the analysis was robust. So let's get to the results. Beta blockers were used in about 80% of patients, 17,000 patients in the registry. Among patients without use, about 40% had a prior history of intolerance or a contraindication. Of the patients who were on beta blockers, it's interesting, only about 45% received less than half the target dose and 40% half to less than the full dose, and only about 13% received the full target dose based on trials. The rate of death was 1.8 per 100 patient years, and they did a multivariate adjustment and showed no effect between beta blocker use and outcomes on all-cause mortality or for cardiovascular mortality non-fatal MI. However, among patients who within one year of MI, beta blocker use was associated with lower risk of all-cause mortality, and the hazard ratio was robust, 0.68 and a lower cardiovascular mortality hazard rate 0.52, and a lower cardiovascular mortality slash non-fatal MI combined endpoint 0.69. After that first year, there was no difference in outcomes. So this study of the beta blocker side certainly suggested benefit in the first year after MI, and thereafter it's very hard to prove. Let's look at the calcium blockers. They were used in about 6,000 patients. 80% had long-acting dihydropyridine, 15% diltiazem, 5% verapamil. The event rate was 1.8 per 100 patient years, identical to the beta blocker cohort. Multivariable risk adjustment showed actually no association between calcium antagonist use at baseline and any outcome, regardless of time from MI or enrollment. So the authors concluded that in this very large cohort of stable CAD patients, after careful and robust multivariable adjustments, that beta blockers were not associated with lower all-cause mortality or improved outcomes except within that first year following MI, and that calcium blockers were not associated with any effect at all. I think it's really interesting. If you look back, the beta blocker trials that really established their efficacy happened long ago, not infrequently were before the reperfusion era, certainly before we had more advanced therapies for hyperlipidemia, such as uh, statins and more contemporary agents now. So this study, I think, is very interesting. It certainly suggests that beta blockers still have a role in that first year after MI. 
It's interesting that the, the guidelines now suggest that the value beta blockers is uh, really uncertain after three years. And certainly in patients who've had a cabbage, we can re- withdraw beta blockers after a period of time. So we, we are using these drugs more for blood pressure and or symptom control, not with the notion that they have a primary effect on uh, coronary plaque disturbance, plaque rupture, et cetera. So really an excellent paper on the calcium blocker beta blocker story in stable CAD. So let's finish with an analysis that I participated in, published in JAMA Cardiology. And it's an update on the clinical trials of Losartan with and without beta blockers to block aneurysm formation in patients with Marfan syndrome. So as you know, thoracic aortic aneurysms are a leading cause of acute aortic dissections and, of course, cause a lot of morbidity and mortality. And we've had a lot of progress in understanding the molecular mechanisms that lead to aneurysm formation. Clearly, the major risk factors for the disease are increased hemodynamic forces, poorly controlled hypertension, more and more we find heritable genetic variants. The altered genes predisposing to thoracic aortic disease often affect vascular smooth muscle cell contraction or decrease transforming growth factor beta signaling or they can alter the extracellular matrix. Preclinical studies, particularly mice, have shown promising results for losartan as a potential therapy to attenuate aortic dilation in mice models of Marfan syndrome, but a number of the clinical trials in humans did not conclusively confirm that losartan attenuated aortic aneurysm expansion better than beta blockers. Most importantly, several clinical trials assessing whether losartan therapy not only reduces aortic growth but also improves aortic outcomes, including dissection, cardiac surgery, and death, have not been conducted. So we, we have a paucity of data in humans to prove that this losartan benefit is real. The largest trial we have was a pediatric heart network trial sponsored by the NIH a few years ago, which looked at adverse events comparing beta blockers to losartan. And it's interesting, in the patients who were randomized to losartan, there was a non-significant trend toward increased adverse events, almost a doubling of adverse events in the patients who had losartan. Ironically, on the other side, the evidence for beta blocker therapy to reduce mortality and morbidity in Marfan syndrome is limited to a single small prospective randomized non-blinded trial. In 2007, a meta-analysis of six studies that enrolled about 800 patients found no difference between beta blocker therapy and no treatment with regard to outcome. So where does this leave us? Well, in the absence of a big trial really proving one therapy is better than another, I think what we have to say for the moment is that the management of hypertension is the central target for all physicians caring for patients with thoracic aortic disease. And we would recommend that it's reasonable to use beta blockers as the first-line therapy for thoracic aortic disease. And then one would add losartan or another uh, angiotensin receptor blocker if a second drug is needed for blood pressure control. There is some evidence that drugs that lower blood pressure by decreasing smooth muscle cell contraction like hydralazine or calcium channel blockers maybe shouldn't be considered the first-line therapy. This is an interesting side note. Calcium channel blockers given to Marfan mice seem to cause expansion of the ascending thoracic aorta and often rupture. And in our uh, study looking uh, at patients with genetic aortic conditions, the Gentac registry, we did see in humans, in Marfan patients who had not had their ascending aorta replaced, that there was a slight signal of concern for the use of calcium blockers primarily in that group. 
Clearly, we need larger trials in patients with genetic aortic conditions. And ideally, we would start separating patients with the various types of genetic defects into cohorts where then we would do studies of those uniquely because their disease may vary quite a bit. So we've covered a lot of territory today, beta blockers versus calcium blockers in stable CAD. We looked at drug-eluting stents versus bare metal stents in patients with coronary disease. And lastly, an update on the clinical trials involving losartan in patients with Marfan syndrome. I want to thank you for listening to Eagle's Eye View. This is your weekly cardiovascular update from acc.org. And you can find these articles and our journal scans of those on the website. Also, you'll find a new educational catalog there under the Education and Meetings tab. And you can use this to sort your educational offerings by various formats. And, of course, many of these are free. Find us online or wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope you have a great week. Thank you for listening.